Thanks to Indeed for supporting the Apple Bits XL. Indeed makes it easy to connect with your applicants. No need to install anything extra. Indeed's virtual interviews work from your browser. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Offer good for a limited time. All right, everybody, let's get to the show. Go tub tub. Go tub tub. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. It's the Apple Bits XL. Brian Tong here, your host, doing the most for everything good and bad inside the world of Apple. It is a big week. It's a big show. We're bringing it out a little early today because we had to jump into so many things, so many things from WWDC 22 or Dub Dub 22 or Dub Dub 2022 or Dub Dub 2020. Let's just call it Dub Dub. But I got a special guest coming on the show. Joe Chaplinski, he's been a guest before. He's a developer. He he really has a lot of great perspective here, and we are going to cover everything. iOS 16, iPadOS 16, watchOS 9, macOS 13, or macOS Ventura. We're going to talk about the M2. We're going to talk about the M2 MacBook Air. This is a beefy one, but there's a whole lot of stuff and also a lot of insights that Apple didn't talk about publicly that they brought to my attention because I get those briefings after the keynote. So I think you're going to really be able to pull a lot from this. So, hey, let's just get right to it. All right, everybody, WWDC 22, it's still happening as of the time of this recording. So, you know, we've had him on the show before, developer and friend extraordinaire, Joe Chaplinski. Joe, what's up, buddy? Hey, how's it going? It's going good. Uh, thanks for obviously coming on and coming back. I always appreciate it. Always a pleasure, man. I love it. So, um, you know, WWDC, this is like your wheelhouse. This is, you know, a lot of the things that happen here, you know, pertain to your field and your business. So uh, I would just love to hear kind of overall first takes. What did you think of WWDC from like the big picture? And then we'll kind of jump into we'll jump into some things. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting year, right? Because Apple decided to do this kind of hybrid thing where there's a, an in-person component where you you actually got to go to the campus and, and see some of that. Uh, whereas uh, most of us are still enjoying it at home in the comfort of our own little living rooms or wherever. Uh, so it's it's really cool to see how this event keeps evolving and how Apple's maybe kind of putting their toe in the water about maybe wanting to do it in person, but not go mm-hmm. back to the old way of doing it, which I think is cool. Uh, obviously, COVID is still out there, so they couldn't do it full force anyway this year. But I think we're what we're, we're starting to see is like a hybrid approach to this event, which is awesome. Uh, as far as the announcements go, I thought there was a lot of cool stuff. It wasn't a hardware heavy year. So, you know, we did get the, the MacBook, but uh, you know, uh, the MacBook Air rather, uh, but you know, not a whole lot beyond that, which is fine for DubDub. It's usually this week is all about the developers and what we can do with the software to make it awesome for everyone come fall. And uh, Apple is providing a lot of cool refinements and a lot of new stuff and uh, a kind of a change in strategy uh, towards what they're or how they're telling us to approach development. Not really, maybe not a change, but it's like a finally they finally kind of put their foot in the ground and said, like, use with UI. (laughs) So um, and so it's kind of it's kind of good to see them kind of take a stand, whereas before they were all like, well, you can use Catalyst and you can use this and you can Mm -hmm. use that. And this time they're kind of like moving forward. You kind of want to use this. Uh, and so that means they feel more confident about their platforms and where they are currently, uh, and a lot of cool stuff to encourage people to, uh, to take their iOS apps and get them onto the Mac more properly, uh, which I think is, is a great move as well. So yeah, so just overall super excited, great events. Um, you know, the video production quality keeps yeah. getting scaled up every time, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, the Craig Federighi, the, yeah. Craig trans- <laughs> like, the Craig transitions, man. Yes. Oh man. <laughs> 
and the corny jokes and all that. It, it was just it was a fun, entertaining. And, and it, it came in like almost two hours. Right, it was like an yeah. hour forty five. It was pretty long this this year. Um, the platform State of the Union ended up being shorter, uh, the, the secondary one on, on the big day. Uh, but I've been watching some of the sessions as well and a lot of really good content. And again, also, I'm starting to see the employees at Apple uh, have a little, they're getting a little looser with this format, you know, the, these videos where you can clearly tell they've, they've been, to, you know, told here's your scripts or they, they wrote their script and collaborated with people, probably had it refined. And, but they're getting more used to being on camera. They're having a little more fun. And there's definitely more joking around going along. And it's just making the whole thing more entertaining, I think. Oh, that, that's nice. Now, I do want to ask, did you, did you try for the lottery or you didn't want to travel or where were you with all that? Yeah, I mean, this time I didn't try for the lottery. Uh, I, I would love to see Apple's campus. I've never actually been in the center of the place. Uh, but yeah, this year I just uh, I just wanted to, we actually organized some stuff here in my, uh, my town here in Boulder, uh, where we had some people come up from Denver and a few other places, uh, and we just kind of watched it together. And so we were planning that before Apple announced that we're going to do a live mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> and so I said, well, I don't want to abandon that. Let me just stay here for this year, and we'll see what happens next year. Uh, you know, it was a small turnout, but we had some fun, and uh, some some people came here. So it was it was good to do it um, in a room with with more than one person. So that's cool. No, I mean, that's awesome. It's it's always it is really all about the community. I have to tell you, right. Uh, I got to go there very first time I was invited uh, through media access. But uh, I thought I li- I literally thought of you when I was there. I was like, damn, <laughs> I, I didn't know if you were going to go or not. But then I figured no, because of all your stuff. And I'm like, damn. You know, being someone who you and I worked together at the second Apple retail store in all of Apple history, because was Tyson <laughs> was it called Tyson's Tyson's Corner? Was that the first yeah. one? I think that was the first one, yeah, in Virginia right? or whatever, in right? Virginia, yeah, right. But yeah. you know, our store—I'm going to say it was Steve Jobs' store. It was, um, <laughs> but it, you know, so it felt like it felt like the number one store to me. So just yeah, seeing back- how it's evolved is crazy. Yeah. And back then, remember, we had access to uh, Infinity Loop. So like we would actually oh, go yeah. to, you know, there were a couple of events where we actually were able to go uh, to Apple's campus and stuff. This is the old campus, not the new cool spaceship. <laughs> but so, yeah, it was cool to like walk. And that's what I mean. I haven't had that sort of access since mm-hmm. then. So it's it's kind of like this weird, you know, every time now I drive by that building because I visit California every so often, you know, I just kind of look at it and be like, yeah, I'm not allowed in there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> this feels weird. <laughs> it, it's it's ins- it's insane walking through it. Honestly, like the best way I describe it is kind of like in my video, the building is kept so pristine and it looks so nice and and the lines on it are so clean. Um, obviously it's a, it's a marvel of like architecture and engineering, but it looks like a fake render. Like I kid you not, when you take photos of it. <laughs> Sometimes you're just like, oh my god! But in person, it looks like like a fake rendered building. I don't know. That's the best way. That's like the highest compliment I can say of how nice it looks. Right? Like you're yeah, taken aback like, by it. The first time I went to the Grand Canyon, I was like, I was convinced I was looking at a matte painting. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't be real. Yeah, yeah, it's it's <laughs> yeah, incredible. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. And even uh, that's been the the joke of people uh, as we're watching these videos, you know, all these uh, developers are are doing their thing and they're all in these like clean, pristine rooms with IMAX behind them. And the screen is just the perfect desktop. I'm like, (laughs) is that a fake room that they're putting? Are they doing all this on a green screen or is this an actual room that they're standing in right now? Yeah, it's. It's Yeah, it's wild. I mean, even something like the Steve Jobs Theater. So that's like an area where they where they have typically in the past, they did the keynotes kind of like um, underground. We didn't go to that area for this, but they have like a big kind of a showroom upstairs. And then there's a downstairs kind of media lounge area. And I was just taking video shots of it because I was just like, damn, like all those spots you see in their videos, in their presentations over the past, whatever, two years, those are like real spots. And when you see them in person, they're 
they're even more impressive. So I was mm-hmm. just like, damn, it's really nice here. Okay, we'll we'll stop talking about the building in Apple Park. And I know <laughs> I ex- I anticipate that you, Joe, will be there next year in 2023. I anticipate it. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I'll certainly put my name in the hat if they do it again that way. I, I, again, I I could easily see them doing it. And, and the feedback I've gotten from the friends who had been there mm-hmm. was that it was such a cool event that I, they couldn't see Apple going back to like a San Jose or a San Francisco. They were yeah. like, just do it at your campus. It's so yeah. much better this way. <laughs> yeah, there's so much space and it was really open. It was nice. So, OK, let's let's jump into WWDC and kind of talk about some of the things. I got to start off with iOS 16. I mean, I think that for me, for consumers, for the general audience, and I'm curious about how you feel about developers. Um, how how have you put any of the betas on any of your devices at all yet? Yeah, I'm an idiot. And I always do this. Uh, <laughs> I, put, I put it on my main phone already. Oh, you um, put it on your main? And my main phone's a mini, so I've, I've been carrying around my spare battery. <laughs> um, oh, this is great. But it's not that bad I, I, in terms of battery life. It's you know what we what one would expect from a beta. Obviously, the official advice is don't put this on your phone if you're just a regular person. There's no reason for you to have this yet. It's buggy. There are things wrong. Uh, and I'm definitely finding those types of issues. But Apple's been much better lately about uh, their first betas in uh, the totally. in recent years, right? And uh, yeah, my big impression of iOS 16 is it's, it's just more of this. Uh, it's just improving things all over the system in good ways. Uh, it, I love to see a platform that's this mature now. I mean, 16 versions in, right? That mm-hmm. that we can like just add simple things, like being able to unsend a message. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, how many times have I accidentally sent something I meant to go to my wife that actually, you know, went to a friend instead? <laughs> and you know, ever we've all had that, imp- yeah, that embarrassing moment. It's like, oh, I can just boom, delete that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those those types of things have, are like maybe it's been too long for those kinds of things to happen, but I, it's just nice to see them making those kinds of refinements with. Out and from a developer standpoint, it's really nice without like completely rewriting the system to the point where everything I'm, I have is going to break and I have to start over from scratch. So it feels like all the apps I currently am working on are running fine. <laughs> you know, uh, mm-hmm. if anything, they, they launch a little faster. They've done some optimizations there. Um, so yeah, it just feels good. And some of the new features, just from a consumer standpoint, like the, the, even the lock screen stuff, as simple Dude, as that is. It, that, yeah. yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I wanted. Like, I think the lock screen as simple as you might think about it. i they've done so many things i the way that i looked at it like when they announced it i'm like man it it feels like they're taking a lot of the learnings from like honestly apple watch faces and kind mm-hmm. of incorporating them into this and uh when i got a chance to talk to the team they said like that's exactly what we did but we wanted to make it feel apple like we you know before a keynote you hear about oh uh they're gonna bring uh you know widgets on a lock screen and everyone's like yeah we get it apple right. does it like you know android has done it for years and then when you see it and you hate to say it out loud because it is corny, but it is true. When it's done the Apple way, it's done a little different. And even yeah. if it's four or five, six, good <laughs> lord, I don't, I don't even know how. I think even like the first Pixel phone might have actually had wit- lock screen widgets. I mean, it's let's just say it's been at least six or seven years. But the polish, the styles, the wallpapers. I mean, I I instantly fell in love with them. I made like three or four right out of the gates. The way the you know you change the fonts, you change the colors. Um, it's real. It's real and nice. And then, I mean, I'm gushing about it. The fact that they changed the fact that the notifications are on the bottom, yes. which now showcase it actually really showcase your lock screen more. You don't have notifications covering someone's face, and they just creep from the bottom. And they're also more reachable. I mean, the the lock screen itself is huge just for consumers and usability. Period. 
Yeah. And a lot of people would brush that off and be like, oh, who cares? It's just a lock screen, like you mm-hmm. said, but it's, it's, is, it is, it is an essential part of your phone. You look at it several, I look at mine like hundreds of times a day, right before, you know, and usually, you know, in the early days, all you did was you, you only saw it to unlock, right? Mm-hmm. And now you can provide all this extra information. And, you know, I think Apple learned from like all the customizations that were, were happening. You know, people were making their own icons and doing other things via shortcuts mm-hmm. uh, in previous years that they realized, like, oh, people really do want to make their phones more personal. And so, yeah, and like you said, the Apple way, uh, just you, you take a picture and it automatically cuts out the subject, puts it behind, it you know, puts the time behind it a little bit, oh you know, that God. tucked in look. I mean, it's just, yeah, there's that polish there. Uh, and, and again, from a developer standpoint, it's like, hey, you know how to make watch complications? You already know how to make these widgets. So if you've already got a watch app and you've already got a complication, guess what? You can just port it right over in five minutes, you know? So the, the amount of work that they're saving us by making these things common across their platforms is really, really helping uh, as far as like trying to keep up with all this crazy new technology stuff. But I think it's going to be huge. I think mm-hmm. just being able to look uh, at my phone and get at a glance is very similar to, I mean, my watch is probably still a better way to just get mm-hmm. a quick glance at the weather or whatever. But if my watch isn't there or if I don't have an Apple watch, it's, it's nice to be able to just look at it on the phone. And I know the, the rumors are maybe that some of the iPhone, uh, iPhone 14s, maybe the pros only or something will have an always on screen sort of mm-hmm. like the new Apple watches do. Uh, then this is going to it's going to become that much more obvious why you needed this to have more stuff at a glance on your phone if it, if the screen's always on you know what I mean absolutely um I even you know we're bouncing about a lot of things you you mentioned how oh you know you use you know a photo a lot of us have like personal photos whether it's pets or you know people and it it does the cutout I mean so for people that didn't watch keynote in so most people that are listening probably did, you know, Apple's really pushing into some of their image intelligence and Joe touched upon it. Like if it, if it doesn't even have to be a picture, you took portrait mode, the AI within it, you know, it already can really just cut you out of a photo. And one example that they showed is that, Hey, uh, let's say you're chatting with friends. You can actually now use two fingers on an iPhone where let's say I look at a picture and it's a picture of, let's say me and Joe, uh, you know, standing next to each other with like a mountains in the background. I literally just hold, press and hold my finger on me and Joe. And you see this kind of like glow that comes around our bodies. And it allows me from that point to cut us out. Now I could then copy that and just throw using another finger while I'm still holding it, tap on the messages app, drag that cutout into a message app. And it's not even like a, a crappy cutout. At least so far, what I've done, what I've played with, it's a really good cutout. I mean, details in my hair. They even said how they're op- they optimize this for pets uh, this time around. It's better at handling pets, and now it's just like built into the OS. And I'm like, huh, you know, they already have some great editing tools in the photos. I'm not saying they're going to be Photoshop, but this this can open up even new doors for photo editing that they just never had that they can just throw right into their app. So they haven't done it yet, but the cutout ability. I mean, this is stuff that you and I in Photoshop. You know, as far back as five years ago, where there was no one tap, we had to trace a damn like around the edge. You had to use either alpha channels to refine it. It might have arguably taken for a good person, depending on the trickiness of the object, 15, 20, you know, starters are saying, you know, minutes to cut something out. We're doing it now with a fu- freaking, I'm so, a press and hold, a press and hold. I, I, I was like, my God. Yeah, it, it was the kind of thing that made me glad that I don't make my living doing that kind of thing in Photoshop anymore. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, I, I just became obsolete. Yeah, it's it's insane. I mean, and yeah, you could a human do it better if they you know took an hour to refine around hair and whatever. Yeah, maybe, but the fact the fact that it can do that instantly 
uh, just based on whatever information it can see in the photo, the intelligence that's going on there is remarkable. And again, fun, right? I mean, it's, I could see that kind of a thing being something that like, I want to take my photo, but I just want to cut myself out of it, throw it on another background. Or like you said, just share it in messages really quick of a happy memory or whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean, th- that kind of stuff is is remarkable to me. And the, the way that Apple does that mm. in a privacy-focused way, the mm. fact that they've been collecting this data about your photos on the phone, not on Apple servers all this time, so that now your phone can figure this stuff out based on what it knows about your photo history and things like that. Um, you know, those kinds of refinements, the, the fact that Apple can do that and also respect privacy, I think is, is pretty amazing. It's starting to really pay off the intelligence stuff that they've come up with. Yeah, even when you talk about... Um like making these custom wallpapers and putting different widgets and they give you like a space or depending on, I guess the layout, but for the most part, they give you uh, the ability to change the font of like the date, the time, like the thickness of it, the colors. And then there's like a row typically that you can fit either four widgets or I guess, or, or three, but if you want like a chunkier widget, that's more rectangular. It basically takes up two of the four slots that you have. Um, the other thing, though, that they didn't get to into as much, but they really showcased in the briefing is uh, they really made it a point like, hey, you can with these different wallpapers, there's like a button at the bottom that you can basically change and dedicate like and allocate a focus to these different wallpapers. And, you know, a lot of times, yeah, you can jump into the settings and just turn your focus on um, to do not disturb or family or friends or whatnot. But now you can basically with an option to click on it, it's baked into the specific wallpaper that you have. And I'm just like, oh, wow, I could totally see me just swiping a, some sort of like Zen like wallpaper if I'm on vacation. Right. And mm-hmm. ch- and or whatever, a work one is a more work based looking. I don't know what that wallpaper is, but now we're like getting to really kind of that feeling of like not only just an image based wallpaper, but then the functionality associated with each of them, you just swipe to one. I mean, when you're on your lock screen, you literally just press and hold it, and then it gives you the option to look at your wallpapers or create new ones. It's the UI and UX is so good. It's so good. Yeah, it's so easy to figure out and discover. And like I said, people are going to go nuts for that. I think that mm-hmm. the personalization options are a big thing for people. Uh, and so I think that's probably going to be, honestly, will probably be the most popular feature of iOS 16. Yeah. 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 I think I think right up there, and you talked about it, it's got to be messages. I'm just going to kind of go the three the three main things that they've improved to messages, but these are all like super functional. You know, Joe said, okay, you can unsend messages that you send. Um, they Apple said it gives you a 15-minute window to actually undo those sends. You can also edit a message that you just sent. Um, we beat Twitter to it, uh, which is amazing. <laughs> uh, beat a lot of people to it, but I love this, right? Sometimes you, you mistype a word or you have horrible texting like, my buddies call what I sometimes I'm texting so fast because I'm on the go and I write just garbage and they call it tong talks because it's so trash <laughs> now. Right. Once the message is sent, I can do a long press on it and then go and edit it. Um, that's also 15 minutes um, until you do that. And then um, you can choose to if you want to go back to like a message thread because it's important, but you don't have to time to read it. You can, uh, I guess, swipe left on it and kind of put a little note that, oh, I want to come back and read this. What Apple also made clear, which I thought was cool, is that um, whenever you edit or you undo a send message, just for at least transparency purposes, um, there's they, they mentioned a note like this message has been edited. This a message has been unsent so that it's not done covertly like you at least the people that you're talking to know that something happened and i think that's some you know some level of transparency is important and it it still got changed but at least um they kind of know 
who I mean, not trying to get anyone in trouble, but this I think it's good that we know someone edited something without having to know exactly what it was. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. It's a good thing to know because then someone can claim, oh, I never said that or <laughs> you know, I, I didn't say that word or whatever. It's like, well, I saw you edited that message that used to say something else, right? Um, yeah, I think so. I think that's a, that is an important thing for transparency. But uh, yeah, I mean, think about it. I, if I went through my threads in, in my messages app, I imagine there's probably in every single thread, there's at least 15 oops, I meant, you know, or like ever correction, you know, like, or, you know, asterisk and the real word I actually meant in the previous message. Uh, you know, you're just going to be able to fix that yourself, which is pretty amazing. The other thing I thought was really cool from a text standpoint, and particularly when you're texting, uh, is the the improvements to dictation. Uh, mm. The fact that the keyboard stays open now when you're dictating. Uh, a, it, always, it automatically adds punctuation, which I thought they probably should have a setting to turn that off because I think the uh, Generation Alpha folks are going to think everyone's yelling <laughs> at them. <laughs> but for me, it's like I the, one of the reasons I don't use dictation that often is that I have to I I insist on putting commas and periods and everything in my dictation. And it's it's a pain in the butt to say that out loud. Uh, so to have that automatically added, but then to be able to just you know, okay, it missed one or two words. I can just select that one word, say the thing I actually meant. And then, yeah, and so I can combine my hands with my voice mm. to kind of refine that message before I send it. To me, that was just brilliantly implemented and uh, made me think, you know, why didn't I, I didn't think of this myself, like, but it was usually, I, I'm, you know, there's a bunch of things where I'll be like, I wish Apple would do X, Y, or Z. I never even thought to, you know, improve it that way, but it's such mm -hmm. a simple thing. Uh, it's going to make texting just a lot better and, and probably, uh, you know, make me much more likely to trust Siri on those kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, you know, going into WWDC, what I love about it is it is hard to spoil everything. Even when, you know, early leaks will say, oh, you might see this, like seeing it actually in action is a totally different story. And I think that mm -hmm. that's why WWDC is one of the few events where you really can get surprised a lot and kind of be wowed. And I think that's good. And also, you know, this is something that's going to be able to run for the most part on a, on multiple hardware going in the past. W was there any other, uh, I guess in iOS 16 off the top of your head, any other things that you, that stuck out in your mind? I have one more thing, but I kind of want to see what else you thought and that you liked. Uh, iOS 16 specifically, uh, well, the, the mail improvements, mm -hmm. uh, they're very similar to the message improvements, but, uh, one thing they added to mail that a lot of third-party clients have done. A lot of people use third-party clients for this reason is, is a reminder kind of thing. I, I have a really bad habit of just leaving my inbox, anything where I know I need to get back to somebody yeah. next week or when I get an answer, I just leave it in my inbox. And with this reminder system, you can basically just select that email, say, okay, remind me in one week or remind me in two, and it'll disappear from your inbox until then, <laughs> which is really nice. Um, so I, I have a feeling I'm going to utilize that feature quite a bit. So I, I've been I've been wishing for that in mail for a long time, and mm -hmm. it's good to see. Uh, you can also unsend the same way you can uh, delete messages. Uh, you can you can re you know ask at least to retrieve it. I, I, don't, I think, is that like a five-minute window? I don't know what, like how much time you have to actually do that. but I Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, yeah, I don't know if the window is smaller for emails, but I'm I'm guessing if uh, Apple said that it's a 15 minute window for messages, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they kept that consistent across, right? Because right? I think Google has an unsend email, but it's it's a pretty small window of time. I don't know right. if it was like 30 seconds, but it wasn't even five minutes. It it's it's shorter than that. So uh, right. I didn't ask them about that, but I I, I will I'll, I'll try and reach out and see if if it changed if the extended time for or whatever that timing is for for unsending messages in mail that that'd be interesting to know and then the other thing also with mail is that uh you can set you can schedule when an email is sent out right so right. If, oh yeah for getting people in different time zones or kind of getting every if you have certain emails like that you want to hit in at in the morning to start their day you can do that too so that's i mean this is these are kind of like more businessy slash you know uh 
I don't want to say enterprise features, but but they they do tend to like cater towards that crowd as well. Yeah, and that was kind of a theme going on, right? Yeah. The other the other big thing they talked about, which may, might be the thing you wanted to mention, is the uh, the sharing, the collaborating mm-hmm, stuff, mm-hmm. Uh, the improvements to share play, and the the. Uh, this is the way you can share something into a message and then people can automatically tap in and out of that message from your app. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think that, like to your point, a lot of threads and underlying things that maybe not everyone is using, but you know, even when you start time out, families maybe collaborating more and then taking it to more of a business level. These are tools that clearly they wanted for themselves internally. Mm-hmm. And now that they can just make them available to us um, is a good thing and whether you use it or not i think to your point though the shareability stuff um that that's going to come in pretty handy especially for like small businesses that mm-hmm. may not you know i the first thing i think of is a platform like when i see how apple is working with messages it reminds you of like oh salesforce and they recently bought slack some of the things that i'm seeing in messages reminds me of slack like stuff now yes and um it's and you don't have to like pay any type of business license to do that it's just all in the messages that you already use, I'm just like, hmm. I'm like, they're they're kind of making some little inroads to get people to use their stuff instead of others. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And yes, I mean, a lot of a lot of these things you have to have an, an entire team using iPhones and Macs. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's you know that helps Apple, <laughs> right? If you can convince everyone in your team to use the same platform. Um, but I, yeah, I totally agree. There are lots of those types of collaborative things. Lots of things that seem to evidence like they clearly thought of a lot of this stuff because of what's been going on the last couple of years, mm-hmm. people working from home and like whatever. So there was a need for more online collaboration and more uh, of these types of features. You know, uh, the, the whole idea of share play where it's like, we're going to watch a movie, even though we're, you know, we live in two different countries, but we're going to watch it together. <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. It's the ways of connecting people, which Apple's always been pretty, it's always been a pretty high priority mm-hmm. for them anyway. Um, but yeah, it feels like with with COVID and everything, I think that became an even higher priority in the last couple of years in their design meetings. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily 100% directly tied to iOS 16, but what did you think of their CarPlay demo? Like just, just what they showed? Oh my God. Yeah, I am so looking forward to that because yeah, one of my biggest complaints about CarPlay is that although a lot of cars have it, they, it's always been designed for that one small mm-hmm. rectangular screen mm-hmm. that was in most cars like 10 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And so the idea that like most modern EVs have these, you know, larger displays and then there's the whole, you know, instrument cluster and they, they might have multiple screens, you know, right? Uh, and the fact that CarPlay could only just be a rectangle on one of those screens was sort of a limiting factor, if you will. And I know they had added some support for a secondary screen for viewing only and a couple things like that. But this is very different. Like CarPlay has always been just an external monitor to your phone, right? Yep. So in a lot of ways, it was I don't think a lot of people get that part. I think when they're using CarPlay, they don't realize that they're really touching like their phone is what they're doing. And all that music is coming from their phone and all the contacts and messages, everything is on their phone. It never goes to the car. But this new generation of CarPlay is basically a complete it's it's symbiotic kind of with mm-hmm. the car's own computer system where the Apple's I'm assuming the CarPlay will say, like, what's the current speed? You know, what's the current fans, whatever. And then you can do touch controls in CarPlay and send that information back to the car. Uh, and so it's a much hi- more highly integrated. I, I imagine why they're previewing it now and it won't be ready till late next year, they're saying, uh, is that they're going to have to work with the manufacturers to get this yeah. kind of integrated. Uh, but wow, is that exciting? Uh, the idea that I can just replace the entire design of the entire UI right. of the car. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty, pretty slick stuff. And, you know, I know all the rumors keep going about Apple's and they're working on cars and blah, blah, blah. If they are working on their own car, it seems like this is the software platform they're building <laughs> yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, 
But in the meantime, why not like test drive that out on, on other manufacturers' cars? Because people are so in what did they say? It was some crazy thing, like seventy percent of people said they wouldn't buy a car if it didn't have CarPlay. Yeah, I don't, seemed, I was like I was like, I that seems pretty high. Yeah, it does, because like not even half of, no, of people no. here have an iPhone. So that uh, felt like or maybe it was like CarPlay or Android auto. I, you know, maybe, I, I think the caveat, honestly, you know how they will like throw out stats like that, but then you have to actually know what the actual question was. I right. feel like <laughs> that question was asked specifically to iPhone users. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. There's no way the general pop is that 80, almost 80% <laughs> I will not buy a car with a CarPlay. Like right when I heard that, I'm like, bullshit right yeah it's like no there's no way so yeah. maybe if it's iphone owners who have owned an iphone for at least three years i i right. could i could believe that one okay i could believe yeah. that one um, the other the other thing is because carplay is tied to your iphone one of the things i was trying to explain to some folks who were asking about it when they saw it it looked really exciting i'm like first off wait another year and a half it's not coming it'll probably least, be 2024 before least. a car actually has this mm -hmm. but the other part of it is that it's going to require ios 16 or maybe even ios 17 by the come by the time it comes out mm -hmm. so like ios 16 cuts off any phone older than an iPhone 8, I think. So if you had like an iPhone 7, like if you're holding on to your iPhone for many years, you probably won't be able to run this new fancy CarPlay. So keep that in mind. You're probably gonna have to upgrade your phone to use it if you if you haven't bought a new phone in five, five or six years at that point. Yeah, you know, they talked about partner, you know, we'll have partners coming up. The only two that I can think of right out of the gates that they would actually partner with. And no, it's not gonna be Tesla. Sorry, sorry no. to break your hearts. That will I never happen. I don't know. I, you know, <laughs> something, I don't know if Rivian is on their map. But I would say at least immediately, they've done a lot of work with BMW. I can see BMW being one of their first partners. But that whole instrument cluster display, uh, we have the BMW, or sorry, the Mercedes-Benz EQ, which has yes. this mass, massive like, screen. That's the only car, and I'm not, you know, I know enough about cars, but that's the only car that I can think of right out of the gates that actually mm -hmm. has a display that would support CarPlay in the way that they showed us, right? Um, yeah, there's a there's another company you mentioned Rivian. There's another one, uh, Lucid. Um, oh yeah, Lucid. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, they've got multiple screens on their on their. Uh, you know, they they have a, like a three drivers like mini screens, and then they have a, a pilot panel below. So I could see them taking advantage of it too, uh, but they weren't on that list. So I don't know if they, if, you know, mm -hmm. you know, Apple. They only share previews of things with certain companies uh so i don't think i think that loose is very new they only have like a thousand cars on the road so far so <laughs> yeah. I, I i don't think that the, that was on apple's radar yet but i would i know that they want to support carplay i think that i think these newer companies like rivian uh, and Lucid, you know, they want to differentiate themselves from Tesla. And to me, CarPlay yeah. is a good way, or Android Auto is a good way to do that because Elon is never going to put CarPlay mm -hmm. in a Tesla because he wants to know literally everything you do, every button you touch on that car is going right back to headquarters. And <laughs> like they're, they're collecting so much data. And I can't, like, once you go into CarPlay, it's all on your phone and Apple's never going to give Elon that data. So I, that to me has always been the number one reason why Elon doesn't even consider CarPlay. That's a great. That's a great point. Um, and also he also he has an ego too. Um, yeah. so that, <laughs> a little bit, little like, bit. Like, 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 yeah. That, but you know, when they show, like you said, everyone's thinking about like when you look at the 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 image that they showed, it's just like okay, just make an Apple Car in whatever it is, four or five years. You know, make it your own, and we'll we'll see what happens. But oh man, I I thought that was that was one of those things that everyone's like, whoa. Like it kind of it kind of yeah. came out of nowhere from a standpoint of I did not expect it to look like that. And they spent a good amount of time at least showcasing it. 
Yeah, they did make a big deal out of it. And that's, I, I totally agree. That was probably the biggest surprise for me. Oh, actually, the biggest surprise of WWE was that they didn't have a Mac Pro to release yet, mm. but we'll, we'll get there. Um, but but the uh, the CarPlay, again, I went into it hoping maybe for some minor improvements. I was really hoping for screen uh, independence resolution. Like, in other words, if you had a, a you know, a different size screen, if it, you know, that CarPlay would kind of adjust to that a little better. Uh-oh. Um, but then they announced this and I'm like, oh, wow, that's like beyond my wildest dreams of you know, like, oh, you're going to replace my entire instrument cluster. Awesome. Um, you're going to be able to have third party widgets like it sounds like or it seems I know. like you, like right now it's a very like if you're a podcast app or if you're, uh, you know, any kind of music app or if maybe uh, any kind of uh, navigation like you have to be it's a very, very strict who gets to make a yep. CarPlay app. Uh, you have to apply for it. Apple has to approve it and so on and so forth. But this sounds like it's going to open it up to like weather apps and to lots of other types of information that you can mm-hmm. pop out. Um, so, yeah, it might it might open the floodgates there. But it, and in a lot of ways, it does feel like a testing ground. Right. So, I mean, if I were Apple and I were developing a car and I knew the actual hardware of the car was going to be the hard part, I, w- I would be working on a UI right now uh, and get myself ahead of everyone else. So, again, I don't know. I don't know what Apple's plans are for cars. I don't know if they are ever going to make a, yeah. their own car. Um, it's, it seems like it's so far away that it, you know, it's, it's still too nebulous and people come and go from that department constantly. Mm-hmm. That's like the worst kept secret at Apple is that they're working <laughs> on something car related. Um, but whatever they're doing, like, obviously this is some, some of the fruits of that. Like, I, I can't imagine that the car people aren't somewhat influencing this car play. Yeah. I also think that it is in a way like, you, the, look, this is the first time that, I think I've ever been this excited talking on the podcast specifically about CarPlay. And I I do feel like the way that they showcase it is a way to be like, is kind of to satiate the audience's curiosity of always wondering, what are you guys actually doing with the car? Right. But not, you know, who knows who they even partner with? I mean, if they're partnering with high-end luxury brands, which they will most likely target, you know, the way that they get the energy around this is maybe someone that's maybe a little more... I don't want to say middle middle tier, but like a Nissan, right? Yes, Makes right. more sense, like a Honda and Toyota. But in that range, because that's where they're going to get the most adoption and people to get excited about it. You put it in a BMW, yes, BM- Beamers are nice, but that's a pretty small audience to get exposed to this. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, Apple is always like tr- they've they've got this incredible ability to make you feel like you bought a Mercedes mm-hmm. when you're actually buying a Toyota. You know what I mean? Like that, like mm-hmm. that. Apple has that upscale kind of brand, mm-hmm. but their stuff really isn't like out of the. I mean, billions of people are using iPhones now, right? So it's not like it's out of reach. Like you're right, the audience for a Mercedes is much smaller than for an Apple product of any kind, right? Uh, and so I, yeah, I, I agree with you. They like to associate themselves with these luxury brands, but I think if they really wanted to take off, um, you know, put it, put it in the Nissan, you're exactly, exactly right. Um, and we'll see, maybe, maybe they will partner with uh, companies like that. And maybe those companies will start designing cars with more, you know, bigger screens and, or more adaptable screens. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see where that goes long-term, but, um, yeah, I wasn't surprised that most of the brands on that little slide they showed were all luxury brands like Jaguar and stuff. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens long term. But I agree with you that I, I did not expect to be talking about CarPlay on the, mm-hmm. <laughs> this I really, much. I really wasn't. Yeah, so. <laughs> but, but it was exciting. All right. Thanks again to Indeed for sponsoring the Apple Bits XL. What's a game where no one wins? The waiting game. And when it comes to hiring, don't wait for great talent to find you. Find them first with Indeed. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Find great talent faster through time-saving tools like Indeed Instamatch, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instamatch, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed data. The feature that I love the most that's going to save you the most time if you're looking for help is Instamatch. You know our time is precious and Instamatch, it works instantly. Candidates you invite to apply through Instamatch are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to US Indeed data. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Terms and conditions apply. Pay for qualified applicant not available for all users. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, what what else, what other um platform kind of got you juiced or were you really interested and excited about for yourself? I usually am really paying attention to the watch and it's it's been fun to watch the uh, uh, watch it was not, <laughs> it's been fun to watch the watch. Watch the watch. Yeah, it's been fun to to follow the the progression of cuz it's one of their newest platforms, right? And so in the early days, they had a lot of changes to make every year by year. And now it seems like we've gotten into that refinement stage, much like iOS, where it's like you can just add a few little things, you know, little refinements here and there. Uh, and, you know, so they didn't add too much. They're always going to throw in a few uh, new watch faces for you. Um, usually the big announcement for watch comes with in the fall when they actually have new hardware, mm-hmm. right? But one thing that caught my eye was the sleep detection and how they are detecting uh, your stages of sleep now where it can actually catch like REM versus deep sleep versus core sleep. Uh, and I, my immediately when I saw that, I thought to myself, I wonder if the next Apple Watch is going to be able to detect sleep apnea because mm-hmm. that would be really interesting if it could figure out like, you know, because I, I, I don't know, I, I snore. <laughs> I've had that. <laughs> I snore. So I, I've had to take that test before where, uh, you know, you have to hook yourself up to like 600 different diodes and wires and stuff and have this little big hardware machine next to you and you sleep for a night. And then it tells you all the times that you were not breathing during your sleeping. Uh, and I can I can only imagine how much cooler it would be to have my watch monitoring that for me every single night. Um, and, you know, the way they, they've been pushing the heart stuff. Uh, and, and the blood oxygen and things of that nature. I can only assume that that's another goal of theirs would be to be able to catch that sort of thing uh, because it's a serious health problem that a lot of people have. And it would be great if you can get early detection of that, then go into a doctor and see what your options are. Uh, so that kind of gave me a hint that like when I see that they're playing around, like they're they're really getting into sleep tracking in a more deep way. That was my first thought. I, I think that's a great thought because, you know, right now, We've heard and kind of seen how a lot of the the buzz and the talk about, oh, um, blood sugar level monitoring, alcohol level monitoring, uh, blood pressure. And these are sensors that Apple that aren't coming anytime soon. Right. And the whole what what the Apple Watch has evolved to is not is more than it has become kind of like the mainstream health watch activity watch, even if it maybe doesn't have all these sensors yet. And mm-hmm. When you mentioned sleep apnea, obviously, I mean, I have multiple family members that have that issue and some have gotten the machines for it. Uh, is it a CPAP? They call it the CPAP, CPAP. machine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it really interesting that that could be, you know, we will see, but they, they really do need to kind of give us what's that new health thing that they're bringing to the table. And you're absolutely right. Like, who knows if that's what it is, but it, it could be. And you kind of, without this whole, people have 
at least the response and feedback from viewers and listeners of people are kind of they're happy with the Apple Watch and I love the Apple Watch, but they feel like it's plateaued some, right? Like yeah. without these new health sensors to drive it, without any significant battery life based on the size of what it can support. Where, where can we see some of the new innovation? And it has to come with more software, more detection with the sensors that they have. So I do like the idea of maybe sleep apnea is their next kind of frontier of health until we can get in whatever, two, three. I think it's going to be a long time until we see true or at least good enough blood sugar level monitoring. Sleep apnea could definitely be it. Yeah, I mean, I could see that they're, you know, they would at least want to head in that direction. You're absolutely right. Like the up, the upgrade cycle for the watch. I know a lot of people still have a Series Three, right? <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. Now. So I think people buy them and they think they're good enough for a very long time. And so if Apple can keep upping the ante by saying, okay, we, we're adding these new, and you know, Apple doesn't like to. I know everyone they, they get accused all the time about you're making me buy a new iPhone. It's like, well, actually, <laughs> they support pretty far back. I mean, an iPhone Seven is pretty old at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, to that finally get cut off. Um, but you know, with the watch, I think that if they can entice people with, with new features, entice more people to want to wear one in the first place, which I still think is their biggest, uh, area for growth. I think every, every yep. year they announced that most Apple watch users are brand new to the, to the platform. So, you know, I mean, Apple has way more iPhone users than anything else, right? Most mm-hmm. people just have an iPhone and then some people have an iPhone and a Mac, some people have an iPhone and an iPad, mm-hmm. uh, and, but you know, probably the smallest group there are the people that have just an iPhone and a watch. And so if they can get more people to, to get onto the watch bandwagon in whatever way they can, uh, and I think health is a great way to do that. Yeah. I think right now the rough, you know, the rough numbers that have been thrown out for actual iPhone owners versus Apple watch owners is somewhere around like that 25, 30 ish, depending on region. So there, to your point, there's a lot of room that they can still grow here, but it, it has not been like a, a Series 3. Man, when the Series 6 came out and they released the – was the SE – did the SE come out with the Series 6? I think so. I believe yeah. so, yeah. But, you know, people that had the Series 3 were like, I don't even need to upgrade to an SE. I'm right. good with what I have because the SE was kind of like a slightly beefed up 3. So, they, you know, they're going to have to do something. I think what was really interesting though is – they're really, and I think you're going to have to use these features or be that type of active workout person to really gain the most benefits. But they really are drilling down into a lot of like the different exercises and metrics. You know, they talked about swimming, they talked about running. What I thought was kind of cool is they showed um, in the in my briefing how obviously it's still connected to the health app, but now it can track like your respiratory rate, your heart rate, your stride, and your pace and it's charting all of this now. And so what you can do is actually drag your finger and you can see not only geographically where you were running on a route, but for people that really want to dig into this information, your heart rate at that time, your respiratory rate at that time, maybe there's an incline, but you know, they're really tying a lot of things that we just haven't seen them do and elevate the Apple watch for those people that are really into these different fitness activities. I thought it was, I was just like, Oh wow, I don't swim on a regular I don't run on a regular, but if I did, it would make me really enjoy this a lot more. Yeah, totally. The more information they can give people, I think the better. And it also when you send it out to your doctor, right, that they can mm-hmm. get that sort of comprehensive view of what's going on. Yeah, the other thing they started recording, I, I was uh, watching the health kit uh, talk today, is heart recovery rate. So whenever your um, your workout ends on every workout now, it automatically will generate your recovery rate, which is how fast oh. you get back down to your resting rate, right? So how long does it take <laughs> basically <laughs> for your heart to go back to normal? 
because that's a huge indicator of health, right? The more in shape you are, the faster you will go back to your, your resting heart rate. Um, so uh, again, that's another important stat and they just are adding that on. It's kind of like tacked on for free that developers can, you know, clue in and show in their third party apps like, Hey, great. You went for a swim. Here's how long it took your heart to go back to normal after you stopped. So I think that all that information is really, really cool. And again, the more Apple pushes into this health arena, like it always fascinates me. So yeah, I, I'm usually pretty interested in the watch section. It was short this time around, Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but I did, I did enjoy it. Um, two things that they talked about in uh, my briefing that they did not go into depth in the keynote was that um, on Apple Watch now on calendar, you're going to actually be able to like create new events from your wrist and even edit reminders and events from the actual watch itself. Nice. So I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then this is something that I had forgotten. But in the podcast app, you will now be able to actually search for podcasts and subscribe to them from the Apple Watch. Oh, now this is a thing like I remember I used Downcast for was it Downcast? I used a third party podcast app for the longest time on my Apple Watch because at the time you they it was one of the few that allowed you to not only search for different podcasts, but also download them locally just directly from the watch. So I was like, oh, wow. I asked them again. I'm like, wait, if I recall right, because sometimes you don't remember there's so many features that are thrown at you. But they said that is going to be new specifically to watch OS 9. Oh, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good addition. And I guess they're they're seeing an increase in number of people who go out running or walking mm-hmm. or whatever without their phones. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, that was one of the big advantages of getting the watch more independent. So I could see that. Yeah, that's so this, cool. This is good for you and me, man. We got people. <laughs> people need to jump on our podcast and search search for it on their Apple Watch. That's and right. Then, and then listen to it directly. Um, mm-hmm. What did you think about iPad OS? I, I can't remember. Are you a big iPad user or not? Oh, I, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, I love the iPad. It's my favorite Apple product. Um, I want to use it more. And every year, like I keep hoping that there'll be like more stuff I could do with it. Um, I, you know, but then I, I, I that is another one. I put the beta on my on my big uh, mm-hmm. 12.9 inch uh, M1 iPad Pro. Uh, and so I got to play around with the stage manager. It was funny when they when they were announcing stage manager during the Mac section. I thought this doesn't really look like of an improvement for the I Mac. I totally you know? agree. I totally agree. <laughs> right. The and time. then and then when they said, "Oh yeah, it's also on iPad," I'm like, "Oh, now I get it." <laughs> and then this makes more sense. Uh, I don't know yet though. It's weird. My first impression with it was I was goofing around with it, and I just miss like honestly most of the time I just wanted more full screen. Like it felt like it was wasting a lot of screen real estate mm-hmm. between the dock and the switcher over on the side. I felt like all my windows got smaller. Like, yeah, I can overlap them, but you can't place them arbitrarily. So it's not quite Mac. Like I, I like for me, I think Apple's trying to strike a balance between like, I don't want to just recreate the Mac because it'll never really work with a touch interface. But at the same time, we recognize that the iPad is different for a phone and it needs to be more powerful. And so they keep toying with these different methods of multitasking. I don't know if they've nailed it yet. I don't know how much of an improvement. I've literally could only play with it for like 20 minutes last night. Uh, so I, I don't have a great opinion on it yet, but I, I do sense that, you know, uh, they're they're really trying at least to acknowledge that the iPad could be a little more on the power side and a little <laughs> a little less on the iPhone and you know, just watch your Netflix kind of thing side. Uh, and to that end, like the, what was more important to me than Sage Manager, honestly, was the toolbars, the customizable toolbars, which we've had in Mac apps for years. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Things like the the, the uh, context menus getting more powerful, having things like find and replace built into the system, uh, those kinds of things that are that are really productivity heavy. I could see, really see that uh, benefiting the iPad. The other thing that really got me excited was it seems like now. Uh, there's a much more uh, robust audio engine going on in the iPad. I, I I haven't confirmed this with anybody yet, but I mm-hmm. like uh, like it sounded like with the changes, like because it could use uh, external hardware and things of like that. I'm hoping that finally like audio 
sort of the, the way on a Mac, like I could be recording this right now in audio hijack, but I'm talking to you and, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you'd be on a zoom call, but also uh, running audio from several different apps. Uh, that was always kind of a problem on iOS. And as someone who's a musician, like I liked, I, I like, I, or even just a podcaster when I'm on the road, like it'd be nice to just be able to record and edit and, you know, do the entire process of a, of a, a podcast on the iPad and not have to bring my laptop at all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Did you, um, it, oh, go ahead. Sorry. It just seems like, I don't know what the specific audio changes are. I have to dig into them, but it feels like that we might be a step closer to that based on what they announced. So are you saying that, because obviously I, I, I didn't, hear this part or maybe i just missed it are you saying that they alluded to that there's new audio apis that might let you do a lot more like simultaneously recording of audio there was definitely something they mentioned about audio and it oh, looks okay. yeah like i i didn't that's what i mean it kind of they kind of skimmed over it and it, it but it basically was like plug in this usb hardware and get access to blah blah, blah. And, and i didn't really like fully catch it but i thought i'm really hoping that's what i think it is <laughs> <laughs> so so i just you know the good thing is like i was first kind of lukewarm on stage manager because i think it's one of those things where i'm gonna have to use it i'm gonna have to really see like do, am i gonna I think part of it is that my brain has so been used to just using essentially maybe one or two iPad apps next to each other. Am I really going to bump up my productivity by doing that? And one of the things that I was kind of worried about with Stage Manager was, okay, you show the column of like accessible apps or grouping of apps on the left side, but that takes up a lot of real estate, right? Like that takes up, if you're on an 11 inch iPad, uh, you're probably not going to get much space for your apps to kind of move around, and and they are stacked very more like desktopy. Um, they they mentioned how with the dis, I get what is the feature display zoom. There's a new option to show more space, and the or display like kind of scale the display, and the rep basically said, hey, if you're going to use Stage Manager, you're going to want to use the one that increases or to optimize the pixel density so you can actually fit more screen real estate on your screen. I'm like, oh, okay. That makes a little more sense because I felt like when I first used Stage Manager before that meeting, yes, I could use multiple apps, but they're all like, it kind of felt like it's too bulky. Like the apps take up too much space for what they are. Yeah, exactly. I agree. And that's the thing. Like, And there's also this weird assumption that you always want to use the same two apps mm-hmm. at the same time. And so like it mm-hmm. kind of remembers that, which it's nice that you want to remember that. But like the next time I launch my mail app, it's going to have my browser next to it. And I'm like, oh, I didn't necessarily want my browser right now. I just want to mail. But like it's remembering that the last time I was using it, it was like this. Uh, so there's definitely some weirdness there. And again, we deal with this on the Mac all the time, right? Arbitrary windows and things just thrown all over the screen, like trying to come up with an organizational pattern is really hard but i i felt like like i didn't hate the split screen view as much as a lot of other people I did. did i've yeah like i like all my i use a 14 inch laptop so honestly i've run a lot of screen a lot of apps full screen mm-hmm. and i just use spaces uh and then i'll uh, if it's an app like twitter or something then yeah i'll split that with messages right so i can have side by side so i don't do a whole lot of like windows on top of each other now the, it, it is cool you can have multiple windows in the same app like the thing i noticed in in um stage manager that was cool is like i opened up a new email like or I, I was replying to someone's email and instead of it doing the split screen thing like it usually does it just popped up another window and i'm like oh that's kind of neat it felt like a mac for a minute <laughs> it was like oh mm. there's like a random floating window now with my new message um so yeah i think there's part of it is i just don't understand what apple's going for with it yet uh, and part of it is that uh, maybe it's, they haven't quite nailed this yet and they're still working mm-hmm. on it, but uh, it is in beta. So hopefully they'll, they'll play around with it some more. But uh, the, the more exciting thing for me actually with Stage Manager and, and in general with the iPad is that if it has true 
external monitor support now, which I think yes. is awesome. Yes. I think that was much needed before it was just like a mirroring type of situation, yeah. which, you know, didn't do any good for most people. So now the idea that you could have this uh, iPad plugged into the magic keyboard and then also plug it into an, an external monitor and get a really expanded display, I think is really cool and really awesome. Uh, the fact that you have that uh, color calibration mode now, you can put yes. the whole iPad in that mode so that it will, you know, it, so I, you could see again, they're, they're leaning towards these pro workflows um and it's, it's really interesting that they are they do seem to be listening to people who want to use their ipads for more uh and so that's really cool i just i'm very curious what third-party software will come out of these new additions yeah you know the other thing that people are you know at least buzz and chatter is like hey why why can't stage manager work on literally an ipad from just a generation ago and so yeah. you know i asked them that question and the answer is and it made sense they they basically put it this way right Maybe people take it for granted, but you know when you add with specifically a stage stage manager, when you're adding all these new you know multiple windows, multiple apps running on top of each other, it requires more processing, more RAM. And they said like the M1 gives them the additional headroom required to do this because not only is it four apps on just your you can do up to four apps on screen on stage manager at one time, like actually running. But if you connect it to an external display, you can run up to eight apps. So you could put four on the display, four on the iPad. And then the kind of the other piece of this puzzle is the fact that they now have virtual memory swap, which allows you to use the iPad's additional storage that you have to expand the storage of the memory. And it goes up to 16 gigs per app. So if let's say, I mean, again, this is not a workflow that everyone's going to be using, but it does make sense that the M1 is the chip that helps them with this. The M1 chip also has faster storage. So they said that they chose the M1 chip as the benchmark for this feature. And also you could imagine if they supported it for earlier processors, and let's just say it's not as smooth, it doesn't support it as much. Let's say they go, oh, we're going to do two for the iPad and two for display. People would be like, what the hell? Like, I think people might be complaining at the moment but if they just put this like tent pole, like this is the mark that they're going to set. And if they are to be believed about, you know, how effectively it runs. And I have to at least give, say, when I think in my head, eight apps running four and four. Yeah, you're probably going to need a little more headroom for that on top of virtual memory swap. That does lend more credibility to why they're cutting it off at the M1. But I know people are kind of pissed off. Like, why doesn't my iPad I just bought a year ago or uh, two years ago before the M1 work? Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Like, I think that if it if it, if it performed poorly on an older iPad, people would just mock it and it would be right. horrible. And I think that Apple's making a good assumption here is that if you really do want to use pro level workflows on an iPad, you probably have the latest Pro. <laughs> you, yeah. you probably have an M1, or you're going to get the M2 whenever that comes out in the next year. So I do see why they would make that cutoff. And you're absolutely right with the the virtual memory swap is a, it's a big deal. Like iPads mm-hmm. generally only have like what, six gigs of Ram yep, actual, yep. actual Ram. And so to be running simultaneous apps, like that's the thing about the Mac, it's always had 16, you know, 24 or 32 gigs of Ram. And so like you have that memory to play with. And I love that Apple, you know, went back to the old virtual memory days, right? They realized like, mm-hmm. Oh, we've got this fast SSD sitting here that most people is like, they have, you know, especially a pro is probably has a one or two terabyte iPad. Mm-hmm all that all that memory is sitting there if you're not if it's not full right now if you're not like loading it up with a you know a thousand apps 
then you've got that memory to spare. Why not lend that to apps? I was always wondering, like, at what point they were going to make an app, uh, an iPad with a lot more RAM, mm-hmm. because for like music workflows, like, you ever wanted to do like a main stage, like a live performance app that was going to be loading in virtual instruments and loading <laughs> in, you know, what I mean, that like an iPad was never going to be able to do that because it was going to be constrained this way. This takes you, you know, another step closer to that. Like 16 gigs isn't all, you know, isn't a super amount, but it's enough, right? Mm-hmm. To like per app. Um, you know, to really give you that kind of, uh, those kinds of possibilities that you can't currently do. And so I hadn't thought about it. And yeah, I, I, I did turn on the screen, uh, res up, if you will, the, you know, the, yeah. the fit more space. It's a uh, little that, more, right? It's yeah. A it's little a little more. more. It's yeah. not, it's not like crazy, but it, it, and I could see how also that would be, cause you have to realize that, that, that now it's a real external monitor, right? So you're pushing the, uh, pixels on the iPad, which is already a pretty high resolution plus, up to is it do like a six K? Will it do like an XDR display? I can't remember what what actually it pushes. Honestly, I have to look that up. Yeah, but whatever it's pushing, I mean, that's like, mirroring is nowhere near as as intensive as doing an extended display. So that's a whole nother step up. So I could see where Apple is saying, okay, this is a pro thing. It's all going to work on our latest pros. I mean, it's, it is unfortunate if you bought a pro iPad right before the M1. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, th- those are the people who are the most screwed by yeah. this, right? That's like a two-year-old iPad, which in fairness, people don't upgrade their iPads every year, right? Yeah. But this will be your incentive to upgrade when the M2 comes out. Yeah, you're you're right. Um, I just thought about it. Yeah, duh. Uh, they showed it on an XDR Pro Display XDR, so that would be able to be pushing a 6K display as well, in addition to its display, right? So yeah, that's an insane number of pixels. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> you know, I think I think sometimes uh, I'm by no means am I defending them, but I do think that sometimes because we take for granted some of that stuff, like people just I think maybe sometimes the mentalities people are so used to in general, uh, it's. Apple, it's supposed to work because you make all these other things work pretty simply, but they don't always think of like the technical stuff behind it because Apple's kind of done really well in making people forget about the technical stuff behind the scenes. Exactly, exactly. And then the, the, the exactly, they won't they won't believe the explanation mm-hmm. when they hear it because mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you work miracles before. You've, you've already surprised me many times with like things I didn't think my machine could do but yeah why is this one different it's like well and those things are really hard to explain uh, from a technical standpoint to people who don't really know and that that is one area of, of apple criticism that bugs me because i get labeled a fanboy all the time when mm-hmm, i say mm-hmm, stuff like this mm-hmm. and again i'm not defending apple i'm just talking about the laws of physics <laughs> like, <laughs> i mean tim cook's pretty good but he can't defy the law of physics mm-hmm, you know so mm-hmm. there is there are certain limitations of of hardware in, as it stands yeah, what about what what did you see in macOS Ventura? Like I thought what was interesting is they really made a push here hard with gaming. Um they they kind of and I don't know if they're trying to there's so much conversation from people saying, "Oh, the Mac doesn't game enough, but it still comes down to the developers jumping on board and they showed off, you know, there's Metal 3, they're time out it loading apps faster. They showed off new games, but at the same time, I'm just when I hear them talk about gaming, until they get uh, Roblox, Valorant, Minecraft, and Fortnite on their pl- platform, it's still not going to be a premier destination for gaming, no matter what they say. Yeah, Apple's got a long history with games, and right? it's never it's never been good, right? I mean, you and I have seen it. You and I have seen. <laughs> how it how many friends have we had along the way where it's like I wouldn't touch? Yeah, I use my Mac all the time, blah, blah, but then they have a gaming PC, right? Mm-hmm. It's like if you're willing to buy a whole other machine because the Mac just can't handle, you know, what you want to do on games. I've never been a super high end gamer, so I'm always more than happy with whatever games show up on on Apple. I'll play casual games and stuff like that. But yeah, as a serious gaming, and I found it odd. You're right that they were pushing it that hard. Like they talked about games 
for more time. They even brought up, uh, you know, a couple of third party people to talk about it. And Mm -hmm. I think this is a weird thing for them to be focusing on Mm -hmm. Uh, unless maybe, you know, this is part of the whole reality kit thing that's coming down the line where they want maybe that's part of the augmented reality thing. It'll be gaming and they kind of want to just start courting like game companies to say like, hey, we got this great hardware. It is true and an odd, weird thing that Apple has the fastest desktops on Earth now with the M1, right, and the M2. Mm-hmm. But and yet they, they're still not ideal for gaming because mm-hmm. of the not because of the hardware can't do it, but because the platforms, uh, the, the developers of these apps aren't necessarily going to bother with the Mac because it's such yep. a small audience, right? So they have to solve that problem somehow. And maybe this was like kind of a toe in the water to say like, hey, hey, did you notice we put out this really amazing chip? Could you please <laughs> come over here and notice us, please? Uh, we are going to make you write a proprietary metal framework instead of using <laughs> all the open stuff. Um, but please do it anyway. You know, it's, it's, it's always been a weird struggle with Apple and gaming. Can, can you maybe give a little perspective for people that aren't familiar? And you, you'll also give me perspective. But, you know, as a developer... Right, completely rewriting your app for another platform that doesn't really show much promise from a from a you know a, just an audience like for you, do, unless someone's throwing money at you to really develop for their platform that you think isn't really going to make much of a dent. I mean, it, can you explain like why why isn't okay? We already know the Fortnite situation, but why maybe like Roblox won't come to the Mac? Yeah, that's a great question. And on that scale, right? So me, even as someone who's like been an indie developer, right? I've built apps for myself, right? And people would always say, why you don't, why don't we have an Android version? I'm like, well, mm-hmm. because I'm me. <laughs> and it's hard enough to keep up with Apple, let alone to do a whole other platform. Mm-hmm. And so in order to make that jump, I mean, even for me to make a jump to an iPad app or an, I- uh, or an Apple Watch app or something like that, I have to weigh like how big is the audience for this? How much will they like it? And then how much more money will I get as a mm-hmm. result to mm-hmm. justify spending it, right? And so for a much larger company doing games, you really have to look at that and you say like the Mac just isn't like how many Mac users play games for the, you know, at, at first Seriously. and then how many of them don't already have a PC or, or a PlayStation or you know some other console they basically use as their primary gaming machine. Uh, they know how many people then are going to buy this game only if we put it on the Mac. Uh, and that's usually a pretty small audience. So for them to justify that, I think it, it's hard. And then, and then there, uh, there are the weird rivalries like, you know, Tim Sweeney and all that stuff going on mm-hmm. uh, with with Fortnite, uh, where the, you know the same thing when you have these like personality conflicts. It's very similar to the Elon and Tim Cook thing, where it's just like these people will you know burn in, <laughs> in for all eternity before they give Apple a little bit of what they're asking for. Um, and so yeah, and then and then that's the other honestly the other big part of the the equation is. Uh, obviously, if you want to put games on an Apple platform, you're going to want to do it on iOS, right? And so now you have the block of the App Store. Uh, and like, as much as I'm not, I'm not on team Sweeney at all with, with Fortnite and that whole controversy, I do get why it is a financial burden to say, I'm going to give up 30% of my revenue you know, yeah. just to be on this, just as, as permission to be on the platform. I think Apple's worth that. I get why they're charging for that. That's a much longer, we can have an eight hour discussion about it, but I can also see a gaming company's perspective to say like it's not worth all that like on top of the extra work we have to do on top of the small audience now we're also going to have to pay this kind of extra fee uh and or deal with review and all the other things that come along with that uh so yeah it's obviously on the mac you don't have to deal with that you just have to notarize and be done with it you don't have to be on the app store but with the ios platform as it is which is the much more attractive one because that's there's way more iphones out there than there are macs uh it, it just feels like that's another big barrier yeah, absolutely. Uh, what about? Thank you for that insight. I mean, that that there really are those kind of when you talk about three significant hurdles like that, right? Development, 
the audience for the Mac and the 30%, it it makes it hard for me to believe unless they're throwing major money at a studio that they would actually develop for their for their platform. Yeah, and that's where the, like the Apple Arcade idea came in. And I thought that was a really brilliant move from Apple because they're like, how about if we just contract you to build a game, mm-hmm, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. We'll get you to build a game for us. And then they said, well, there's this catalog of older apps, you know, like all the Angry Birds and the Flappy Bird. They, like, well, it wasn't mm-hmm. Flappy Bird, but, uh, you know. <laughs> I love they, that. that guy. Where is that guy right now? I <laughs> Dude, they, they, they no longer, the, the app no longer functions. Like, unless you have a downloaded version on an old hardware now, it's, it's not even available. Like, you can't get it. You can't get it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember that person, like, he was very sad that he had made the game. It was a sad story, actually. Yeah, it, yeah, it was. I remember that. But, but the point is, like, they got a lot of those classic games to say, like, hey, get, jump on Apple Arcade. All you have to do is modernize it a little bit, get it to work on, mm-hmm. on the latest OS, and you'll get some extra revenue out of it through a subscription, right? So, I think Apple, I think that route is probably more likely to succeed. I think Apple Arcade has been fairly successful for them, especially when they bundle it in with the Apple One and a lot of people are trying it. Um, Again, I don't know. I haven't seen any like newer games that have made big splash lately. Mm. Um, But I I think that that approach to take a small indie shop and say, we can fund a game that no one else is going to make or no one else is going to pay you to make. um, It's almost like the Apple TV approach, right? Where they're, they're basically paying for content. Uh, to run on their platforms exclusively. I think that might be a better route than trying to court these bigger yeah. companies. Uh, and, and as long as that's the case, though, again, as long as they don't have those AAA giant names like the Mac is or in the Apple platform in general is going to be a, a secondary player in the gaming market. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'm going to, I know we were talking for a bit, but I, I do yeah. want to cover the Mac and then the MacBook Air real quick. Um, okay. Mac OS, did, did anything shake you up here? I, I There's one thing for me, but overall, did anything stand out? I don't know if I, I saw center stage on the Mac and I'm like, most people are, I feel like most people are using spaces instead yeah. of center stage and you don't lose screen real estate. Is, is that how you feel right now? Yeah, kind of where I am with the Mac is that I've been working with it since 1986. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I kind of know how to use a Mac right now and I don't want like a whole new workflow. I guess some people might. I think they did stage manager for iPad and figured mm-hmm. why not just bring it to the yeah, Mac. Yeah. And maybe for some uh, you know, users who are new to the platform, it'll help them be more familiar if they're on the iPad to go buy a Mac. I, I do think Apple's trying to do a lot of the stuff where it's like we want all of our you know stuff to kind of work well with each other and kind of push each other um but yeah the stage manager didn't didn't do much for me you know, as far as the mac went uh, i saw that redesign system preference panel which looks a little weird but mm-hmm, <laughs> i'm sure that's gonna freak mm-hmm, out everybody mm-hmm. um but so it, it, yeah a lot of refinements to the mac lately uh, are interesting i think they're moving in a direction where they're trying to make it easier to develop for i think the big story with the mac for apple is that developers most just like just like the audience for the actual products themselves most developers only develop for ios mm-hmm. and they would love to get more of them on the mac they tried with the mac app store and that didn't really right. go over right. well i mean the classic mac app makers didn't even want to be on the app store because they didn't want to pay the 30 percent uh but then the ios developers just they had to learn app kit and everything they just didn't want to bother so they're like okay well we'll offer this catalyst and catalyst will be a way to take an ipad app and turn it into a mac app that kind of worked got some people interested wasn't really totally you know taking the case now it's like okay well what if we have swift ui and we can start changing mac os not to lose its identity it's still very much different it's still very much a touch-based or not a touch-based i'm sorry a pointer-based interface Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but if we can make some of these controls compatible across platforms through swift ui then maybe we can make native apps for mac with minimal effort if you've already made an ipad or an iphone app Mm -hmm. and so a lot of the story going on mac os to me is behind the scenes right now it's a lot of that sort of thing where they're trying 
trying to get more and more developers to make more software for the Mac because I think the Mac is having its heyday. It's like its second coming, or yeah, you know what I mean. It's, it really it's the second golden age. Yeah. Uh, they're selling way more of them. People are digging them. It's awesome. There's lots of um, things you can do with it. But I do think they would love to see more and more. They would love to see like iOS level numbers of apps uh, for <laughs> yep. the Mac, and uh, they, they haven't quite nailed that yet. But I think they're heading in the right direction for that. The feature on the Mac that like threw me off, but. You know, I guess the question is, has Apple kind of solved their webcam problems oh, yeah. with continuity cameras? So for people that may not be familiar, they basically showed a solution. And everyone has actually been wanting this for a long time. Like has mm-hmm. been said, why don't we just use our iPhone as our webcam? And now in macOS Ventura, you will be able to use your iPhone as your webcam. They're even going to uh, sell like a holder to allow you to kind of clip it on top. But I thought it was kind of genius because our our phone is here anyways. You know, why not? And it has the center stage capability using the ultra-wide lens. You, you won't be able to fit whatever that camera is in that super slim top of the MacBook Pro, MacBook Air bezel. They showed that crazy, like, desktop, desk down, almost like an overhead camera view that I'm not sure exactly. I know they can use the ultra-wide camera, but... To get an angle that looks just like uh, like an overhead shot, I got to see that in person. That kind of blew my mind as a content creator. Yeah, the, honestly, uh, my first thought when I saw that was like, oh, that's that's like Brian's overhead cam when he does <laughs> unboxing videos. <laughs> For real. It, looked, it did look like there's no way that's coming from that phone, right? <laughs> like the angle. Yeah. It, like, I don't know if they're doing some kind of image processing to like take the whatever. The, the warped uh, image. Yeah, exactly. And like kind of square it back out. But that was pretty remarkable. Yeah, there was this app out. I think it's still out there called Camo uh, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. came out last right. year. That basically did that, you know, you would plug in your iPhone and it would turn it. And I've been using that. Like I remember you I do, talked about it. You talked about it. Yeah. Work video calls. Like for me, it, it, it does make perfect sense because no matter how good they, I guess they're improving their webcams and their laptops. Right. But no matter how good they do, the, mm-hmm. your, the one in your pocket is always going to be a better camera. Right. So yep. like the best camera is going to be sitting on the back of your phone. So. Uh, honestly, the only piece I was missing was the actual little clip, which I, t- I've been wanting. I, I almost, <laughs> at one point I wanted to design one and 3d print it somewhere right? um, because I was like, that's exactly what I want. Cause I was using a small tripod behind my laptop uh, yeah. that I would prop up. Uh, but the fact that it's mag safe yes. and it just clips off, it looks small enough to toss in a bag. I totally want that clip. I, I mean, know. Freaking awesome. Uh, but yeah, and then to be able to just use your phone and of course in the Apple way, right? So, I mean, I felt bad. Like they totally sure locked this camo app because basically all you have to do is get your phone near enough to your laptop and it'll just say, hey, you want to use this as a camera? It just automatically configures. You don't even have to unlock your phone Crazy, or turn right? it on, right? Like Crazy. I used to have to launch the camera or, you know, the camo app and then put it in position and then I'd actually accidentally touch a button or something while I was doing it, right? This is like just literally slap it to the top of your of your uh, MacBook and you're good to go. Uh, so I think this is an awesome feature. I, I actually for, I can't believe I forgot about it when you were mentioning uh, Ventura. Like I forgot that was a thing. And the fact that they're going to make that available to third parties, I think, is huge. Yeah. That's the other part. If it only works in FaceTime, well, that's not going to work for work calls. Right. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. but this to me solves the problem. If, if they start adding like all the filters and other things in third parties, that'd be really nice, too, because I kind of like to desaturate myself a little bit, maybe sharpen it up. <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> but but the lighting fix was great. Is it me or when you're watching that demo when you first started it with the, with the guy that the remote guy, like I'm looking at it and like yeah his camera looks like crap but you know it didn't look that great and i it, but they did that on purpose because he flipped on the lighting thing and it, like suddenly oh if you're sitting in front of a window no problem boom yeah we, yeah we can adjust this um 
So again, yeah, super cool feature. And I do think that that's going to be super popular. And you know, is that going to like basically kill the webcam industry? I don't know. I mean, because I already have a phone. So why would I buy a $200 webcam at this point? I, I think one of the, yeah, one of the big things is, so for, I have a pro display XDR that I, that I invested in because like I do a lot of video editing and I hated the fact that, oh, I had to get this webcam, but I didn't, you know, I did it begrudgingly. I didn't want to, right? I didn't want to get that big thing, but that just sits on top of it. But man, if I just like toss my phone up on there on any yeah. screen, I, I love it. And it's like you said, no setup. I don't have to plug in anything. Yeah. I don't yeah. just magnet pop. Boom. Done. I, I am curious what it's going to do for battery life, but mm-hmm. I, I can imagine they've like, cause it's not running the screen of your phone. Yeah. Maybe it won't eat that much battery. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to see, but yeah, I think that's a, a <laughs> unless you're on meetings eight hours a day, it's probably gonna be fine. It's super cool. So yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, I didn't, I didn't feel like Mac OS was going to be the was the biggest thing. I, I really do feel like iOS 16 was the was the feature kind of standout of all the OSs. But I do really like you said across the board. I like a lot of things that they're doing and like a lot of the connectivity between them. Uh, it, I thought it was a really strong WWDC from a software standpoint. Definitely. And it was it was mostly software. And as I started watching the sessions, like it's it's evident that there's a lot of new stuff for developers as well. So I do think you're going to see some good improvements to third party apps come fall too. Um, before we talk about the MacBook Air and then let you go, uh, did they are, are there any sessions that touch upon augmented reality or or show breadcrumbs and maybe what might be happening? Have you looked into that or anything? I don't know. There are there are definitely some new like AR type sessions that I haven't watched yet. But I, it, this is going to sound unrelated. But I watched the What's New in HealthKit app. To, uh, What's New in HealthKit uh, talk today, and uh, I found it very interesting that in in that talk they mentioned that now uh, HealthKit is going to support uh, prescription I. Uh, yeah, so basically, you can get your prescription for your doctor and add it into your phone. Huh. I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder why Apple would want us all to have our eye prescriptions in our mm. phones already. Could it mm. be that when we're ordering our Apple glasses that we could just say, mm. oh, use my prescription that's already sitting here <laughs> kind mm-hmm, of a thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was very interesting that they just decided to add that out of the blue. Now, they have had a lot of medical records and things, and it is kind of handy when you go to get new sunglasses or something you want to get prescription or anything like to have it like in the phone rather than mm-hmm. on paper is great. But I just couldn't help but think that that has to be connected somehow <laughs> to oh, this vision good. framework that they're working on. Yeah, that's good. So I know you are a MacBook Pro 14. I think that is like the ultimate pro user machine, quite honestly, like its portability, the screen, the power. Oh, it, it is so sweet. Um, what were your thoughts on the MacBook Air? I, I really like what they're doing, but I'm just kind of curious what you thought. Yeah, I mean, first off, it's cool that it, they, they announced the M2, which is like, they're yes. going to have to get oh my over gosh, We haven't even talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> but they're going to have to get over this hump of like some t- some of the computers that have M1s are going to be faster than mm-hmm. the M2 at certain things, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so like the generations, the way they're introducing them, it's kind of weird and backwards. Like really, I mean, the, the chip advancement first happens on the iPhone, right? So the M1 is based on the A14 from a couple of years ago. The A the M2 is now based on the A15 in the iPhone. And so, you know, we're going to keep getting the advancements first in the phone, which again, from a chip design standpoint, no one's ever done it this way, but it yeah. makes perfect sense. Start mobile, start in the most constrained spot where battery life really matters mm. and where you're forced to really keep you know making things more efficient. Um, so it, I think it's very interesting that like Apple's going to have a consumer product, the air that is now running an M2, whereas the pro is still running the M1 pro or the M1 max. <laughs> you know, uh, I think that they just need to get people over like generation versus pro max ultra, whatever the heck they're going to call whatever's in the Mac pro <laughs> eventually. Uh, so I, I think that they're, they're starting that process. So like that they, they're not shying away from that. Like part of me thought like maybe they would just wait to say M2 until they had M2s and everything, but mm-hmm. 
it, this makes sense. Uh, so there's that. So the, this chip, I mean, the M1 was already pretty fast. I actually had very briefly, I had the uh, MacBook Pro 13 inch that had the M1 when mm-hmm. that first came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bought that for a while because I just thought, I don't know when they're going to do a Pro machine. Let me just get this because I'm curious. And, you know, I, I, I'm an idiot when it comes to buying Apple stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I had that for like six months and it was pretty quick. I mean, honestly, oh, that it was machine, great. Yeah, it was faster than the 16-inch Pro was at the time. So in a lot of ways, for what I do as a developer, the Air, especially with this M2, is going to be fast enough for mm. most of what I do, right? I mean, not for what you do, right? So your video editor, you're always going to want the Mac Studio ultimately, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but to, to me, the the, the I could see a, I'm not going to buy this this uh, MacBook Air, mm. but I could foresee a future if they ever make a green one <laughs> where that becomes... <laughs> Where that could become my my primary laptop, right? Yeah. I, I could actually see a time where like it's good enough for Xcode, right? It's good enough for the kinds of things I tend to do, especially if I'm doing a lot of compiling on a separate server somewhere. Um, it feels to me like that machine, uh, the, the lightness of it, the portability of it, somehow they managed to shave even more weight off of it and, and size. Um, I, I would love to see them make an 11 inch of it to tell you the truth. Cause like, mm-hmm. I just, for me, I love portability. I go to coffee shops a lot. I ride, I, you know, I, I just throw it in a backpack on my back when I'm on my bike. Uh, and so the lighter that machine is the better for me. Uh, but yeah, for right now, I am not getting rid of my 14 inch pro because, uh, it's, it's plenty of laptop. I have it. I'll probably have it for a few more years, but maybe my next laptop could be an air, maybe an M3 or something air. I could yep. see that happening. The design is nice. I mean, it feels like what you expect. It's a it's a thinner MacBook Pro, right? All the curves, the bezels, the edges, it feels the same. I thought what was kind of interesting, though, is, you know, there were rumors that they were going to release an entry-level model MacBook Pro 13-inch, which they did alongside this new MacBook Air. And I asked them, you know, what is the main selling point for it? Because... They both have the M2. They both, you know, support up to 24 gigs of unified memory. They both have two terabyte storage, um, you know, maximum capacity for for storage. So they they just basically said that because the MacBook Air is a fanless design and it does have kind of the sleeker design and the, and it, yeah, it has the colors. I mean, that I don't know if that how much that really drives someone to buy a product. Sometimes it does factor into it, but they just said that the MacBook Pro 13 would offer more sustained power because it has a fan system but mm-hmm. it wasn't anything that at, at that point i feel like if you're even wanting to do something that has a little more juice you would just buy the macbook pro 14 uh inch anyways right and so i feel like the 13 is in a weird spot like of how it exists in the product line yeah i already thought it was kind of in a weird spot last year um and it, again, I bought it only because there was no M1 Pro, right? Mm-hmm. And, but as soon as the Pro came out, then it became much less attractive. And now, yeah, you're right. And the price difference is only 100 bucks, right? Mm-hmm. So it is in this weird slot. And I could definitely see, and that I think that, that kind of hints at why Apple didn't redesign it at all, that it still has a touch bar. It's still like obviously the three or four year ago mm-hmm. MacBook Pro. Um, I think that Apple knows they're going to phase that one out, mm-hmm. but they just don't feel like the air can quite manage like there's that little in between era yeah. gray area i think you know depending on how many of those they sell i totally get the fan thing no i mean definitely more sustained you know cooling will mm-hmm. definitely let you run the stuff you want to run longer um but yeah that's a, that's definitely a niche product at this point and i could see it's on its way out which is why apple doesn't want to spend too much time designing it the, the other thing is that the m2 is you know you and i are talking about how we use these machines how most people use these machines uh they'll never even tap out what the m2 can do quite honestly you know yeah not even close right not even (laughs) close right and so it's when i know some people will complain about like oh the performance is i 
literally take a step back. If you are just, which most people are doing, word processing, emailing, web browsing, and maybe a little photo editing, not even, and maybe a little video editing, you're not going to even come close to like the headroom that these processors have. No, not even. I mean, you could probably do most of what you do on what you just described on an iPad. Yeah, uh, yeah, on an <laughs> yeah. iPhone, on yeah. an iPhone. <laughs> right, a bigger iPhone. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So. Yeah. So I, I agree, and I do think Apple sees a future where probably more and more consumers will just go iPad and be done with it. Um, so yeah, the, the, it's weird to think about the future of like entry level Macs and where the lower end is. Obviously, the M2 will end up in an iMac sometime later this year. Yeah. Um. You know, and, and the mini, which I think will be interesting because I didn't buy a mini M1, but I'll probably mm-hmm. buy an M2 because I could I, I could use a new server <laughs> for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for building uh, apps and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it's it, like I think I could see them getting rid of that that 13 Pro for for sure soon. Yeah, like yeah. Maybe, maybe that'll die next year. Um, but it, I am curious why they kept it this year. Beyond, like yeah, it, it does feel like it. Like they're not going to sell too many of those. I mean, part of it also, I hate to say it, but part of it feels like the Tim Cook special where he's like, ah. Uh, We've got the inventory of the parts. We can right. throw in the new processor. We can make some margins on this, um, but at least we aren't wasting. Like you know, they might have. I could imagine them having a bunch of this, you know, MacBook Pro 13 stuff just kind of in the back, and it's a lot cheaper because this machine has been around for a long time to even produce. If they need to produce that much more, that is right. just kind of like it's a business play. It's just an inventory supply chain business play. Yeah. So it comes down to we have like a drawer full of yeah. bars. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it would it literally wouldn't yeah. surprise me. He's he. You're right. He's an operations guy, so he's going to try to make every dime off of every part that he's ever purchased, right? So it, it, that does make a lot of sense. Uh, and to your point too, they kept around the M1 MacBook yeah. Air. Uh, it's because they wanted to hit below that thousand dollar price point, and then you know for schools it's eight ninety nine. So that's like a pretty cheap entry level Mac, right? For for schools uh, and for students. So. Yeah, I mean, I, but he's always been in that, like, I want the pricing umbrella. I want to get every price point I can possibly catch. And so maybe he just felt like the entry, I don't know what the entry level MacBook Pro with the M1 Pro chip in it is, the 14 inch, um, where that starts. But, you know, maybe that that uh, MacBook Pro 13 inch is kind of like, there's a gap there that he wanted to fill. You're right. Could be that easy. Could be just a spreadsheet. <laughs> let me let me let me just check real, really quickly the uh, MacBook Pro 13 inch with the shoot not not the M2. Where's uh oh shoot right they took it off the oh sorry you're looking at the MacBook Pro with the M1 with the M1 Pro right is that what we're looking for the base price model just yeah, to the see the difference inch. yeah where does um, it start it starts at 19.99 so, wow, so that's a big jump that's yeah. a yeah, yeah there's a big jump from M2 MacBook Air, which starts at eleven ninety nine, to MacBook Pro. They yeah they they got to find something in between that eleven ninety nine and nineteen ninety nine, and not the MacBook Pro thirteen inch. Right. <laughs> I'm just yeah. Saying. Or may, maybe the idea is to get an Air where you could have an entry level Air now at nine ninety nine, but then push it up into that two thousand yeah. dollar range, like if you fully loaded kind of a thing. True. 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 Um, but yeah, they might have to do a few more pro like things. That's what I'm saying. Like the the Air is almost appealing to me, and I have some pro level workflows, right? But so if they could get it a little more, like the the big thing that I would I think would hold me back from the Air, honestly, is it doesn't have the liquid retina. I was just going to say. I was just going to say. Has a liquid retina, but not an XDR display. So. Now that I've had that on my 14 inch, that's gonna be hard to give up, <laughs> right? I'm, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, who knows what happened with the supply chain? But literally, if they made an XDR display version and that is that 14.99 price point between the Air and the MacBook Pro uh, with the M1 Pro in it, geez, their naming is gonna like someone's listening. <laughs> their brain is melting. Maybe that makes <laughs> sense there. Maybe that makes sense there. Then, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's the, that's the thing, the problem they're trying to solve is that space between those two machines. Yeah. Amazing. So, okay, Joe, you've been so generous with your time. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I, I really, really enjoy like, you know, we go way back. I always, and it's just always fun to chat, chat with you and you're so smart and uh, I don't know. I just love talking to you, bro. Yeah, same here, man. It just feels like the old times, like we're back at the Apple store chatting before our shifts. So yeah, it's always a good time and uh, always happy to be on your show whenever you like. All right, uh, Joe, can you tell people where they can find and follow your content and all the great stuff that you're doing? Yeah, right now, the best place to get me is just on Twitter and uh, I'll spell it for you. It's Jay Chaplinski, J-C-I-E-P-L-I-N-S-K-I. Uh, you can just follow me there and uh, listen to my ranting and raving on Twitter. And then your podcast, come on. Uh, no, no, the podcast actually is defunct now. You can go check it out. It's called Release Notes. It's still out there on the on the world, but we stopped doing new episodes uh, as a few months ago. We decided to uh, kind of close up shop. Uh, we have been doing uh, a show every week for uh, like close to seven years. <laughs> and it got to the point where it's like, okay, I think uh, we've talked about all we can talk about when it comes to business. But yeah, so the, the show is all about business topics uh, in the small independent developer world. So if you're a person who likes to make their own apps and is trying to make some money with them, uh, we talked about a lot of that stuff for about seven years, and there's a lot of great episodes out there. They're still out there on the the podcast world. If you want to go find it, uh, all the all the places you get your podcast uh, would still have it. Amazing. Well, um, thanks again, JoJo. Appreciate everything, and uh, we will talk to you soon. All right. Same. All right. Take care. Bye. All right. There you go, everybody. A deep dive, reactions, recap, and kind of a breakdown of the big stuff that happened at WWDC 22. Always fun to have Joe on the show. It's just incredible, and he brings a wealth of knowledge, so it's always also fun just to catch up with them. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope that you know now that things are heating up this season, I would love to hear from you. I got a couple calls in the bank, so what we'd love for you to do is call in the show, record a voice memo, send it into applebitsshow at gmail.com. I know there's so much that's on your mind, so hey, let's get it rolling again. The season is ripe, and uh, a lot of things are coming down the pipeline, but I'm really excited just to see, you know, there's a lot of cool connectivity going on here. In a weird way, Mac OS Ventura didn't really do that much, but it brings a lot of the things that you're seeing in all the other OSs, and that's all that connective tissue now that iOS and Mac OS and iPad OS, and, you know, you could even say watch OS, at least from other mobile devices, they're, they're trying to really kind of have a lot of the same features rolling out at one time for all the platforms. So, Thanks again, everybody. Hey, remember also, big thanks to our Platinum Apples at the $100 level, Brandon Ledford, Gil Cabrera, Wesley Frader, Jarrett Lewis, and Atari Koenigsegg. Thank you for all of your support. Thank you to all of you who keep us going. We're at episode 222. That's two to two to two or just two, two, two. I could have said it either way, but Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. This is the Apple Bits XL, baby. Peace. Peace.